Hello and welcome to Rowing Chat, the podcast network for the sport of rowing. I'm Rebecca Caro and back in 2013 I did my very, very first podcast interview uh, actually with Robin Williams. So uh, it was extremely early days and since then every week or two I've been doing interviews with all sorts of different people from across our sport. The Rowing Chat Network has a website, rowing.chat. And if you'd like to get an email notification of new episodes, just go to rowing.chat and you will see a sign-up button. Also on the site is our archive of different shows, different episodes. The search function's really good, so do go and look through it if you want to search for all the Olympians or coaches or uh, a specific person. And please sign up and subscribe wherever you choose to get your podcasts. And of course, each episode will come down into your listening device. Now, before we start today's show, I want to tell everyone about our sponsor. Fitness is a journey, and we found the perfect companion for every step of that way. Imagine a seriously tough training partner that's guaranteed to keep you on your game, will never skip a session, is always there to level up your motivation and will even organise your life and hold all your workout gear for you. Meet King Kong bags, the toughest gym bags in the game. You can drag them around, pack them to the max and take them on the toughest of adventures with confidence. They're not going to rip and they're not going to stretch. All King Kong bags are decked out with the pockets and compartments you'll ever need. We're talking shoe compartments, laptop sleeves, multiple bottle pockets, wet zones for your towel, pockets for your gym accessories, meal prep storage, and even a unique weightlifting belt attachment. So if you're ready to take your training seriously, you need a serious gym bag too. Ready to pack for greatness? Take the quiz and let the pros match you to the perfect gym bag. You'll also score a $10 discount off your purchase. Just head to knkg.com forward slash rowing chat. And if you're not convinced, pack it, buy it, take it to the gym, get chalk all over it. And if it doesn't live up to the hype of being the number one gym bag by 80,000 plus fitness freaks from around the world, you can return it for a full refund and no questions asked. Make sure you use knkg.com forward slash rowing chat to get the exclusive $10 discount. Now, today I'm delighted to welcome as my guest to the show, Miranda Holder. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Well, it's brilliant to meet you. And from your accent, we know that you're from North America. Correct. So, Tell the listeners just a little bit about you and your personal background in rowing. Sure. Um, so right now I live in Vermont in the U.S. Uh, I got started in rowing actually as a college walk-on, so university-level walk-on at Wellesley College. And I uh, had played a lot of sports in high school and um, wasn't terribly good at any of them. Uh, good enough, but not good enough to continue on. And my father had rowed, and so I wanted to give rowing a try. And like many of us, I heard about this uh, crazy sport called rowing, and it was actually the only thing that I've ever fallen in love with at first sight. So I saw it on the Charles no! River. In Boston. Yes, I saw it on the Charles River in Boston, and I thought, "Oh, that—that's the thing. That's what I want to do." Um, and I got totally hooked right away. Uh, Isn't that so interesting? Because I, I was very similar to you. I was recruited at a student cocktail party. This man said to me, "Oh, you're tall. You should try rowing." And I was like, "Oh yeah, okay," and. I remember 
after about, you know, by the time you've gotten into an eight and you've done a, some preparatory stuff. And I remember coming back up the river and thinking, this is why people loved sport. When I was at high school, I was a lacrosse player. I did a little bit of track and field. And I was like, I never twigged why people really loved it. This sport's easy. Yes, same. I know I never wanted to stay after basketball practice and shoot extra baskets, but rowing was a whole different story. Interesting. And what yeah. was it? Did, can you pinpoint that precise thing, Miranda? That there's so many things. How? How? What? What? Uh, the precise. Those very early, early years. You know, before we were even could even say we were proficient in anything, mm. except showing up. Then it's and it probably is this all the way along. I love the feeling. I love the feeling it gave my body. Like having your whole body engaged in something, being outside on the water, being quiet somewhat. <laughs> not so much at first and not with coxswains, but a feeling. I would say the feeling. Isn't that interesting? So mm. after your, your, your university debut, where did you end up? Well, I wasn't ready to stop and I was just good enough. My college coach was like, you should think about training for the US team. And I thought she was nuts, but that was sort of too tempting not to give it a try. And I wasn't good enough that I was automatically qualified to go to like the to go to the Princeton Training Center. So I wanted to train as a club athlete and see if I could make it in that way. So I got a boring job that didn't require much of me. So I could, you know, train on either ends of the day. And I rode at Riverside Boat Club in Boston. And uh and I kept training, um, but only for a couple of years. When I was uh, 25, I got diagnosed with a congenital heart condition. Um, and the irony of it is that exercise is bad for my heart condition. So, um, sorry, I'm laughing because it's funny now in retrospect. At the time, it was incredible. I mean, it just like ruined my life for three years. It was like some of the darkest days of my life. Um, and it was such a gift because it brought me into coaching. Uh, because again, I wasn't quite ready to give it up. So your as your coach debut was with high schoolers or with uh, university students? Uh, actually, initially it was with other uh, pre elite level athletes at the boat club that first summer, um, and I got very lucky enough to work with the lightweight men's aid as an assistant coach. So I got to go to world championships like within five months of starting to coach, which is absurd. Like I didn't belong there. I just got a I got a free ride to watch and to learn and. Um, and it was amazing. And then I uh, got a college or university level job um, that fall. So within six months, that was my full time job. And how did you upskill yourself into the coaching end of things? You were presumably a reasonably well trained physical individual and you'd experienced a lot of the racing and the training and the gym work and the erg work and all of that thing. Talk a little bit about how you transitioned from being an athlete to acquire mm. the skills to being a coach? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think I did. I took the same approach that I took to rowing, which was sort of do as much of it as you can, uh, as often as you can. Um, and to, to basically to be open-minded, to see how many people, different people you can learn from. I mean, I rode in every launch I possibly could. Uh, so when I wasn't actively responsible for individuals, I was riding with other people to learn from them. I was asking questions. I was reading books, um, just trying to absorb as much of it as I possibly can. And I also, my approach, I think, thankfully, having been an athlete is I was willing to try stuff. 
um, you know, I was willing to just do stuff and see what worked and, and see what didn't work. One of the things that I personally enjoy going out in a coach with a more experienced uh, coach is that I like to look at the crew and think, if I were the one with the megaphone now, what would I be saying? And then see what they choose. Because I think for any beginner coach, it's, I mean, it is a, a truism is you, you pick up the megaphone and then, oh, what am I going to say? And then you put it back down again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I had that experience so much my first summer because I got diagnosed in March. And so pretty much from March through the summer, I was, I was coaching myself, getting a chance to kind of try on these toddly little legs uh, as a brand new coach. And then I was also getting to ride, um, you know, at least uh, several hours a day with um, the head coach of this lightweight men's uh, pre-elite program at Riverside. And so getting tons of uh, experience listening to him and then trying to see who else I could get, who, who other, which other launches could I get into. Um, and yes, I loved playing that game. That was my favorite game to play was here's what I, here's what I see what do they see and what are they going to say about it and how are they going to approach it and what kind of energy are they going to bring and how's the crew going to, you know, how is the crew responding to that or not? So it was such a great and continuing to do that, like not stopping doing that, even as I got more established was really important. I think that this is, what do I see is probably the number one question that any athlete and any coach should be asking regularly. And it's come to my attention recently where crews that I've been in and we've been videoed and the person who took the video very kindly uploads it somewhere and you all go and look at it. And without the guidance to say, I see this when it should be this or whatever the body posture is or blade parallels, unless you can give people some direction toward what they should be looking at, they just watch the video and they're yeah. very diligent watching the video, but they're not interpreting and inferring and understanding anything out of it mm -hmm. i agree so talk a little bit more about how you trained your eye mm. uh so actually when i think of my training prior to coaching when i didn't know i wanted to be a coach um, i actually think i had some really great training so my major in college was english so I love to read, I love to write. Um, I'm really interested in communication and how to do that, which is obviously like, <laughs> that's coaching is what, what are you gonna say and how are you gonna say it and how is it gonna land and is it gonna be effective? And then my, I wanted it to be a double major but didn't quite get there, but my minor was studio art. So I actually think my eye is one of my gifts in terms of being able to look at something to understand why it works or doesn't work visually. And so I actually found that there were a lot of times where I could see things that other people uh, didn't see or hadn't seen because I had spent so much time sort of in the fine art space you know, looking at stuff and thinking about it and training my eye. So training my eye in a completely different way, um, but training my eye nonetheless. Are you, a, are you currently doing fine art? Well, photography is one of my hobbies. So yes, uh, in, in a very non-professional way. Uh, every year I do a book, an anthology called Rowing Tales. And I'm always looking for someone to do the cover art. So uh, if you're interested, <laughs> or other people are listening or interested, please step up and say hello to me. Because uh, much as I enjoy and appreciate the quality of what's given to me, it's totally not my skill set. <laughs> so you spent some time coaching, but then you've moved on already from that. I mean, I say already because you're relatively youthful, but um, 
you're now in leadership coaching. So from athletic coaching into leadership, how mm -hmm. does that help? Is rowing a thread that runs through that part of your life as well, Miranda? Yes, in so many different ways. I mean, it, the most principally, every single year with the team was like being in a laboratory and getting to experiment. And I, I don't mean experimenting on people, but experimenting with leadership because every year it's a new crop, right? Even if you've got the same, you know, three years, different people are there. Some people are there, some new people are there, new freshmen, et cetera. People are one year older, new classes, new time. Everything is new, right? And so you get a chance to see how is this particular group going to come together? What do they need? What are their strengths or their weaknesses? Um, and so I felt like it was this amazing. So I did it for 10 years. I had this amazing experience of seeing like what, what happened uh, uh, as we put in different people. It's this completely like leadership is such a intangible thing in the same way that that feeling we get on the water can be so intangible when it's going really well. And yet there are these really tangible things we can look to performance and you can really see the group coming together. So I found that sort of interplay between tangible and intangible, really interesting. Um, and I loved having that laboratory to, to think about and experiment with leadership and what impact it had. And what were the sorts of things, just give us a, a little insight into what were the tangibles that you could see? And then how did you flick that back into the broader arc of progress for the intangibles? Mm hmm. Well, the tangibles that you can see is, you know, how, how is the how is the crew doing? Are they coming together? Are they rowing better? Are they are they winning more? The I'll tell you the last year I was an assistant coach, the crew that I coached that year uh, was undefeated. And I felt like my main job was not to get in their way. Like they had it, they had it all with it, like they had the ability to, to be very good. And I felt like it was my job to manage myself. So this very intangible thing that I really felt like if I just didn't mess it up and get in their way, they were going to go out and do this very, very tangible thing and perform. That is extremely mature. And uh, if I was judging myself, I'm not sure that I would have that uh, um, control. But I suppose that when you're working with a crew that has more experience and more years of rowing under their belt and they are more expert, you know, the finesse is become increasingly minute and sometimes the coach is really is it true that you're just there to observe the outing and not necessarily to be teaching them anything new just checking they're doing the training that's kind of how that year felt and it was the third varsity it wasn't like I had the top crew you know it was there was something about that particular group of individuals and the way we all came together. And I had such a high degree of trust with them. Like mm -hmm. I, I felt like they trusted me. Uh, they trusted each other. I trusted them and respected them. And it just, it, it gelled in a way I almost didn't experience them the other time. How interesting. And now take us into your leadership coaching now. Um, what are you doing? Well, so I'm doing the thing I very much needed at the end of my career. <laughs> Um, I ended my career as the head coach at Georgetown University, and I was incredibly burned out because my approach, what made me a really great rower is that I would give absolute, I would give my everything just like all of us do. Um, and so I was terrifically good at putting everything on the line, which is really um, actually an awful strategy as a leader in terms of maintaining your own energy and longevity. So um, I could have used what I do now back then, but I wasn't there. Um, 
what I do now is I work with um, individuals and also with teams and organizations to help them grow their leadership skills. And what that often looks like is I work with a lot of people who are in career transitions or who are mm, wanting to imagine something different about their work or their life. Um, so maybe they're feeling like this, the job that they're doing right now isn't cutting it and they want to do something different, or maybe they want to go do the thing they've always dreamed of doing, but they don't know how to get there um, or, or starting a, a, an organization and want support in that. Um, so yeah, that's the short answer. And absolutely fascinating situations and, and extraordinarily you're, I'm guessing more of a facilitator because you're not telling them what to do. You're helping them to discover what they want to do. Yes. And it is the best um, training ground for that because people hate to be told what to do, especially adults and especially, um, yes, they just, they don't like it. Or they say, they come in saying, oh, tell me what to do, but they really don't want that. They want the experience that we get as athletes when we really step into our own power. And like when you figure out how to do something on the water or when the crew comes together in some way, like that feeling is, I mean, it's everything, right? And people want that. Um, and so if you can facilitate the space and create and hold the space for them to do that themselves. Um, it's so much more powerful. I, like I could tell people what to do and it doesn't help them build that muscle, right? Like they still have to go and do that thing and learn how to do it themselves. Now, as a much younger person than myself, what are the sorts of things that you're seeing in your clients who perhaps are seeking career transitions to something that is more uh, fulfilling for them personally or you know, fulfilling of their life goals? that you think is unique about this generation? Mm. Well, I see a, I see a couple of things, but the, the major thread, at least with the ones, at least with the individuals that are, that come my way, which again is a small sample of the population, um, but they want, uh, they want more. I get a lot of people that are, I think, hungry to break out of a more conventional role um, you know, like maybe they started as a lawyer or, um, you know, something more traditional or they're doing something because somebody else told them to, and they really want to do the thing that really excites them and lights them up. And I believe the world is, because I've seen this time and again, I think the world is a much better place when people are doing, uh, what they love. And I think that can often be misconstrued as like coming from a place of, of privilege. Um, and I think tapping into what, really uh, energizes you and excites you, um, allows you to operate from that place of strength um, and give back to the world in a better and different way. So I, I get really excited when people uh, want to reimagine their lives um, in a way that supports them in a true way. And isn't it interesting that, you know, one one does tend to do what someone else tells you to do because until you have some life experience, you don't really know what you want to do. And, you know, cycling through, you know, different sorts of jobs as, as a student or whatever, it's very easy post-fact to post-fact rationalise choices that you've made and make it seem like a clear linear progression. But for me, I think if I'm being broad, brutally honest, I fell into some things that were hideous and fell into some things that were marvelous, you know, and then tried to make the best of the hideous ones. And, you know, you you build out the skill set that you think you need. And then occasionally your employer says you should go on this training course because you need this and so on. But is it really uh, is it really that different for the current young generation 
are they really seeking anything that's extremely different or was are older people just more set in our ways and we made different choices I'm, I'm not phrasing this particularly well no i think i understand you and I, I don't know that i have the experience to comment um i just know what i know but i i, I will tell you that one of the um the first clients that I had who was uh, just really successful is I encouraged this client to, to go. And at the time they were really interested in um, mushroom cultivation. Uh, and they were also at the time a lawyer. So very sort of standard job. Mm -hmm. uh, and they loved some components about that, but they were really interested in mushrooms. Um, and as I'm sure you're aware, psilocybin is kind of a, an emerging industry. Um, and so encouraging that person's uh it's actually even a connection to their own body because your instincts and your intuition about what it's not even instincts and intuition it's your own biology telling you this is what's important to you this is what you like this is what gives you energy and fulfills you being able to trust that and follow that and then see where that goes this person has become wildly successful in that space um all because they had the courage to kind of follow that passion and i imagine that's been happening for all of time so I can't give a more historical perspective, but I definitely, I get to work with people that want to do that. And I love that work. I, I find that uh, I used to work with children in rowing, coaching 10 to 14 year olds. And even at that age, you can see the sorts of tendencies that could be encouraged for their, you know, their adult futures. And it's been a great delight to me to reconnect just recently with um, a young man who was probably 13 when I last saw him and to see what he's done and what he is currently doing. And it was it was just one of those moments where someone messaged me on LinkedIn and said, oh, you know this person, can you introduce me? And I went, went yeah, absolutely, I know them. Yes. You know, and it was it was just really it just brought such a big smile to my face. Um, because mm. not only that, he remembered, you know, learning to row and he remembered my coaching, which was you know, charming for me, but um, great to see what happened as a result. Yeah, I'm actually working right now. Speaking of that crew that I mentioned, that undefeated crew, I have a client right now who was in that crew um, and she kind of came back around and found me and it was, she was like, is this okay? And I was like, are you kidding me? This is what a treat, like what a gift to work with you again in a different capacity. Now, Mental health is a very hot button topic right now. And I would love to get your insights. I mean, you've already alluded to the fact that you had two or three really dark years in your own personal history and relationship with your body and with sport and the implications of how that affected you mentally. Mm. For the general listener who, bearing in mind our audience, could be athletes, could be coaches, could be parents, what are the broad mental health skills that you think we need for the sport of rowing and that rowing can teach us? Mm. I think the skills we need more of are curiosity and compassion. And I know that might sound really soft to a lot of people. Um, and I don't think they're soft. I think they're actually the, the strongest of the strong. Because often I've noticed in, in, uh, in our sport, there can be a lot of... Um, there's sort of a lot of residual uh, fear motivation, a lot of shaming, blaming, egos are really big. Um, and that can really get in the way uh, because we've decided, for example, if we it's Friday morning and an athlete hasn't showed up and we find out the athlete was drinking the night before and breaking the alcohol policy, you know, come down, you know, can't do this is against the team policy, yada, yada, yada. 
we have a lot of a really, a really black and white approach um, to making sure that the athlete is, is doing what they need to do and to work toward, you know, the performance of the team. And I have not often seen, although I think the best coaches are, have been doing this all the way along, um, is wondering why that athlete might've been out in the first place and what they might need, like what that is giving them. So instead of judging them, and not to say that we can't have standards or we can't um, hold people accountable, not at all what I'm saying, but simply in addition to that, um, injecting more compassion and more curiosity to help us learn more about what's going on for the athlete so that we can give the athlete what they need. And how might you approach that conversation with that mm. athlete? Mm-hmm. So I noticed for a lot of my athletes that when something was going wrong, I could tell in terms of their, their stroke looked different or their performance was different. So you, you could tell, even if they hadn't come in, sh- oftentimes they would come and share it with me directly. Sometimes they wouldn't, but something was different. Something was off. Um, and so, you know, I might just invite them to share with me, you know, I'm just noticing, cause just saying, I'm just noticing is a really neutral, curious, open-ended way of saying, here's what I'm noticing about you and your stroke or you and your performance. You know, is there anything else that's going on that you'd like to share with me? Uh, is there anything else you need help with? Um, and whether or not they feel comfortable sharing or want to share is a whole different story, but at least opening the door for them. Um, because I mean, I dealt in 10 years, I dealt with almost, I think every situation you could possibly deal with, um, you know, uh, suicide attempts, drinking, drugs, parents, like all of the above. And mm. I wish there was more of that, um, uh, especially around places where athletes are not doing what coaches want them to do. Because I don't think anyone's trying to, excuse my language, suck on purpose. No. I think people are, are truly doing their best. And when their best isn't very good, it's because something's up. Mm-hmm. And that requires you to first know the athlete a little bit because, you know, the best be very, might be, you know, their life stage. But it, it's quite a challenge to bring this as an entire new layer on top of my job is to teach you to row and take you to a championship maybe or whatever the goal is. It's quite a challenge then to put on top of that, this sort of pastoral care. I agree. And that's why I think you develop that relationship with other people who can support that work so that you know where to send that athlete because that's really not your job, right? When athletes started to share that stuff with me, it's like, okay, I'm not your therapist. I'm not qualified or trained to do this, but here's the person I can send you to. And can you get an appointment with them? You can't, but you're right. There's, I think the, the load that most coaches are bearing is enormous. It's enormous. Um, when I was transitioning out of it, I thought, what am I going to do? I can do everything and nothing all at the same time. Like, I feel like I've worn every hat and also I didn't know which hat I wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. So, Miranda, talk a little bit about your services. You've got a website, MirandaHolder.com. What can you offer to people who might be interested in engaging with you? <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. Um So what I offer is individualized coaching, one-on-one coaching for some. Um, So if you are in a transition of any kind, uh, I'd love to walk through that with you. Um, If you're working on your leadership of any kind, I'd love to be in that moment with you. And I think of leadership as being starting from the inside. Uh, So starting inside out, knowing yourself, being more aware so you can make different choices. Uh, Different choices lead to different choices with the group and yourself. 
And then I also do a lot of uh, group coaching work. Um, I do speaking, I do facilitation, I do a lot of different stuff. Not all of it is on the website. Um, but I'm what I'm launching right now that I'm really interested in, it's been in beta phase for a while, is I want to teach people how to connect to their bodies in a different way, especially as a recovering endurance athlete. I think we're often taught to ignore our bodies, and that's how we get great at our sport, just by not paying attention to those signals that are telling us to stop. And I think it's really important to connect to that whole body wisdom, that whole being wisdom. Um, so yeah, a lot of different, a lot of different options. If any of that sounds interesting, I hope you'll connect. Well, thank you very, very much. And just a reminder, that's MirandaHolder.com and all of the usual social profiles apply. Miranda, it's been delightful to firstly meet you and to hear about your very unusual rowing journey. Um, I hope that people take courage from hearing what you've managed to achieve and the satisfaction that you so self-evidently have now um, after a challenging, I like the word transition. I think that's a, a good place to be. So if you're a person who's in transition or looking at transition, uh, listen up and contact Miranda. Thank you so much. So this has been the Rowing Chat podcast. I'm Rebecca Caro and as ever, you can find out more at www.rowing.chat. Till next.